Baltimoreans. I don't remember how it works. <laughs> you're, Hi, listening, you're listening to Baltimoreans. Isn't that a nice surprise? You're, we're, we're the home of the all-weather fan. Indeed uh, although we, we haven't been a very good home for you, our all-weather fandom, uh, recently. Yeah. Good to be back in your eardrums. Uh, hopefully this is the beginning of uh, Sam and I um, telling you back to our, 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 uh, our regularly stupid schedule, which means you can probably expect another three-year hiatus uh, between <laughs> now and, and the next time you hear our voices. But we were sitting around and, and thinking, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a solid decade. It's been 10 years since we embarked on our very first Baltimoreans. That's true. Um, and for those of you who were, who were around then, remember our original plan was to get um, a couple hundred million listeners and uh, get everyone to throw in a dollar and purchase the Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles um, and turn them into a nonprofit serving the city of Baltimore. I'm going to do a quick audit check, Sam. How are we doing on our on our fund to purchase uh, Baltimore Orioles and convert them to a nonprofit serving the city of Baltimore? <clears throat> um, just flipping through the logbook here. Flip, 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 flip. And it looks like we have in the coffers $16. All right. $16. rates... That's, I wonder. Um, I wonder how much. Uh, I wonder how much the 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 market value of the Orioles increased over that ten year window. Can I say something that I don't understand? I would be willing to bet that, in spite of the historic run of futility in which we are immersed, somehow I feel like the value has probably gone up. And I would like to talk for a moment, if I can, about Jeffrey Loria. <laughs> Sure, that seems like a logical segue. Because Let's go. here's the thing, Smith. If you recall, Jeffrey Loria was the most tuned out, couldn't remember the name of his own catcher-ass owner of the Florida Marlins. Uh, well, now the Miami Marlins, then the Florida Marlins. And he won famously two World Series, then set the team on fire, and has since sold it to the ownership group that now has Derek Jeter and a Jeter. bunch of other um, morons uh, involved in it. And he sold the team at something like, a, I don't remember the percentage profit, but you know he bought it for like $300 million and sold it for close to a billion. And there was all this press at the time that was like, that Jeffrey Loya, he really played this well. And all that meant is that he turned a profit. That's all it meant. Right. That's all it meant. Even though he, from... From the perspective of like everything we would imagine would create value for a he baseball franchise, he did none of it. And there, nobody went to, I don't think anyone has ever been to a Florida Marlins <laughs> baseball game. I'm they have, as far as I know, I have, I have, let me think about this. I don't think I have that. I know people, I know human beings who are fans. I, I have met them who are fans of the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> the basketball team. I don't think I know anyone who is a Miami Marlins you fan. You don't, there aren't any. Derek Jeter yeah. is not even a Marlins fan. No, no, goodness, no. I don't think he watches the games. <laughs> Nobody's ever bought a Marlins hat. None of these things, none of these things have happened. And right, so basically sports teams have become essentially a speculative device because <laughs> they are, there, there's, there's a finite number of them. And and when there is a finite number of them, and you have enough, 
the, the, the wealth gap is becoming such that there are enough people with a billion dollars and nothing to do anymore because they're bored, then they're going to get in on this speculative device. And they're, they are not, this, this immediately makes me think, of course, as any good baseball fan would of, of Newcastle United, right? So this is a, <laughs> this is a, a, um, a historically great Premier League side that has been languishing in relative obscurity, uh, although they have managed to stay in the Premier League for the last uh, XDX years, just got purchased by the Saudi um, oil fund in essentially an act of like sports washing. Yeah. Where Well, can I also th- say that's literally a subplot in the television show Succession. <laughs> yeah. And it's supposed to be an exaggerated joke that, yeah. you know, uh, the scion of a media conglomerate and the scion of uh, an energy conglomerate are like, you know, it'd be funny as if we bought a football team. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, and and not only is it a incredibly cynically predictable joke as made by Succession, but also it seems to be working because oh, no. immediately at in Newcastle. So I don't mean working on like the level of sports. Newcastle is still terrible, but immediately a bunch of um, like good old boy Newcastle fans or whatever the English Premier League equivalent of the good old boy is started showing up at home stadiums with the Saudi head coverings and like welcome the, our new uh, uh, oil overlords because they knew that what this was going to mean was the Saudis dumping a shit ton of money into the team. So in that way, it's not exactly like the Miami Marlins scenario, (laughs) but, but, but I think it, I think it is indicative of sort of like, when you have a finite number of, of of clubs or teams or something with like this with the cachet of a big league shine on them, um, and you have a finite number of people with just googles of money, just an absurd amount of cash, um, that what's going to eventually happen is the price of these things are going to continue to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the the good people could get. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Orioles family is looking to sell, um, but he's not getting younger. <laughs> well, can I tell you uh, a, a rumor that I heard in the course of reporting a podcast called The Rumor? <laughs> ah, excellent. Um, should we do like a, should we just tell people what we've been doing for the last four years since they last heard from us? Or that's not, not, not that's not important. We'll, oh. just, we'll just pretend that we did 20, 17 season just ended uh, and we won't speak at all of the past uh, pursuit of the worst record in major league baseball well, history over a four year window. What is there to speak about? Really? I mean, <laughs> certainly nothing baseball related. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, I have to say it is tempting to try to reassure uh, you, the Baltimoreans that like the Orioles, we've just been going through a parallel teardown and rebuild. <laughs> um, except that we're, we're back. We have a lot more metrics. We're a much more metrics-driven podcast now. Um, we figured out that. Uh, and can our, I just our... say that the metrics are much uh, easier to manage now? Not because our our methods have gotten more advanced, but because uh, we have zero downloads to count. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you go into that data, it's uh, it's it's very interesting, even yes. though it's all zeros. Yes, we're 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 we've been looking for the new podcast market inefficiency. 
Um, and we discovered that it was not releasing episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the gamble anyway. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it much like the Orioles rebuild. I'm not sure that it's yet bearing any fruit. <laughs> I have to say, I, I don't I don't know, Smith. It, it Not releasing episodes is a very efficient way of doing a podcast. <laughs> It's that's a good point. It's that's very little point. work. It's very little work for arguably the same amount of gain. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I'm I'm no economist, but um no I I, I do think uh, we should say to people uh, while it is tempting to claim that we have been going through an extensive teardown and rebuild, uh, as you will hear, there has been no rebuilding or refurbishing. The show is exactly the same as it was before as evidenced by the fact that three minutes into it, Alan was talking about speculative financial products. <laughs> <laughs> and we still are not going to do any editing whatsoever. So actually, you know, I think editing might actually be the new podcast inefficiency. <laughs> you, you want, I mean, you, uh, the, the, since, since the, the early days of Baltimoreans, if you think about the growth of the podcast industry, all that's happened is people have just gotten way, way into editing. <laughs> More people have gotten Pro Tools and Shure SM7B microphones. Uh, but, you know, you can bolster a lot of architecture on top of your podcast setup. But if you don't have this... This... <laughs> this engine. This, this engine chugging along underneath. This moronic magic at the center, what... Do you even have? Um, but yeah, I think we should tell people a little bit about, about what's been going on. Um, I will say for me that w- what I was teasing earlier is I spent the better part of last year trying to figure out if, in fact, morons Cal Ripken and Kevin Costner got into a fist fight in 1997, which allegedly led to Cal Ripken conspiring with the team to cancel the game between the Orioles and the Mariners on August 14th of 1997. I made a whole podcast about it with old-time Baltimoreans' friend, Mac Montandon, one-time shortstop tryout E for the (laughs) Orioles. Um, And we actually did crack the case. I'm very proud to report. Uh, I'm obviously not going to say what happens here, but if you're interested, please check out The Rumor. But here's the thing. In the course of reporting that story, Alan Smith, I literally went to the heart of the Baltimore Orioles franchise. I'm talking about into the central boiler room of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Oh, wow. And I talked to the guy who makes the entire stadium work. This is it's one guy. The, well, it, it's one guy who has a team of, of sure, people sure, sure, who sure. he works with. He's the most lovely man I have ever talked to other than yourself. His name is Ray Winfrey, and he is an absolute prince. This is something I did here on the day we visited with him, but I, I will not say who, who actually said this. Um, but it was not Mac or me. Here's the theory. The theory is that... And this is among the cynics, admittedly, is that what Mike Elias has been doing with the blessing of the Angelos family is trying to drive down the value of the franchise to the point 
that a new ownership group led by Cal Ripken, or including Cal Ripken, because Cal Ripken probably does not have $1 billion, um, would take over, excuse me, take over the team and mm. launch a new era of, of Orioles baseball. Um, and this would and, be, and they couldn't, uh, they, they want the value to be low because when that offer comes in, they don't want some other offer to come in and trump it. Um, that's a good question. Actually, I, I just like the Angelos is they have, they have complete control, right? So they could give it to whoever they wanted at essentially whatever price. I think the logic of it, I would imagine is something about like getting the price to a point where Ripken and whoever else he's allegedly in cahoots with would be able to actually afford it. They, mm-hmm. I'm guessing they have like stipulated some number if any of this is true, they have stipulated some number. It's like if you can get it there, we'll make the we'll make the deal. However, there is a counter theory that the Angeloses want to sell. the The running thread here is that the idea that the Angeloses are ready to be done with owning the Orioles, um, mm. which I'm not sure I 100 percent believe. But because um, one thing I would like to talk to you about, Smith, is in the long arc of history, I feel like Peter Angelos's legacy is improving. Like as mm. we increasingly line him up against other major league and professional sports franchise owners. Right. He pound for pound seems less evil and um, less he certainly came by his money in less evil comparatively less evil ways and uh certainly like has you know he's 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 no um uh what was the clippers guy oh donald um donald sterling sterling yeah he's no donald sterling and he's no and he's no uh bone saw fc i mean he's no he's no saudi oil money <laughs> right well and all, bone saw I think, Jesus. I think the guy the guy the guy yeah the bone saw fc is what newcastle united is now known as can the i say something soccer fans do not fuck around when it comes to nicknames no, that is no, no, no. very dark humor <laughs> it is it's heavy chelsea i think that i think the guy who runs chelsea abramovich i think he's killed a man like i think i think like he himself like like has 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 used his hands to extinguish the life of another human. And meanwhile, That's just, yeah. Meanwhile, Peter Angelos, I didn't know this story until the rumor process. Alan Smith, when there was the last lockout and or player strike, um, I technic don't technically know the difference between a lockout and a strike. I guess it's who initiates. Um, but when the last all, player stoppage, yeah. The last time this happened, when all the other owners were ready to hire scabs to non-union players to uh, take major league fields, Peter Angelos was the one guy who was like, that's not happening in Baltimore. We're not doing that. He like yeah. took a stand. that That's like negotiating against his interests in that moment because he was like, that is wrong. And for Little that- Angelos is a pro-union dude too. <laughs> I- I almost give him a pass for like everything else I've ever been mad about, mad at him about because of that story. 
I mean, I do, I do think that like he, he gets into this really interesting thing where you're just sort of talking about between like um, ownership of a sports team is like, is he a good owner in the sense of like, does he invest in the right people? Does he invest in the right players? Does he make choices that are good for the franchise? And then like a good owner in the sense of, I like his politics. I like what he stands for in the world. He didn't, you know, actually step on babies on the way up to his, <laughs> his, his, I mean, cause I don't, I don't think any billionaires are doing great in terms of their uh, moral uh, clarity, but comparatively speaking, I think we can agree that he's, he's sort of like decent. Um, and so, you know, like we always wanted him to spend money and then he did. And then we have Chris Davis and we always wanted him to like, you know, be more active and like give Dan Duquette more stuff to play around with. And then he did. And, you know, the Orioles were decent there for a bit. Right. Um, but that is also their, what led us patches between um, the, the madness. Yeah. But that, but, but to your point, that is that desire for him to like unleash the Duquette is also what led us into the, the twin Donnie Brooks of Ubaldo Jimenez and um, Alex Cobb, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like another, Bo- both of which I think if you check the tapes, we were very excited about. Oh, definitely. You and I. <laughs> I, I think we have an entire, uh, uh, entire episode around them, uh, pay Chris Davis the money. Oh yeah, we do. We do. Um, and, you know, I also think kind of to, to again, to the point that you're making, another thing that's weird to me about the current era of, wait, I just realized I should finish my previous thought before I get to this, which is just to say, I don't buy the idea that the Angeloses want to cut bait, um, mm. which seems to be the unifying thread of these like whisper campaigns that go on, the most insidious of which is that they want to sell the team um and or move the team either sell the team and move it or just move the team to Montreal um, mm. because of various tax incentives and somebody has a summer house there. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that just because I just kind of don't think the Angeloses would do that to the city of Baltimore stated for the yeah. record. Um, yeah. But in terms of what we were just talking about, uh, but how fucked up is it that they could very, <laughs> Very. Just to go back to the uh, the Baltimore should be a nonprofit serving the city of Baltimore. Just the notion that the Angeloses in any way have the like that that is a potential option, right? That like that that uh, that the Seattle SuperSonics now play in Oklahoma City. It's not great. I don't like it. No. Nope. Anyway, it's not good. Pin your pin. We're gonna need more than um, Mancini bucks to get there, though. By which I mean trade Mancini's jersey number is sixteen. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, so the other you thing can really I really tell our, our run sheet is tight. Baltimore. You can really tell. <laughs> Did, does Trey Mancini still play for the Baltimore Orioles? Uh, somebody check the books on that. Intern well, Scotty, get on plays it. plays for the Baltimore Orioles right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, that's true. No, no major league or no, no major league players technically per MLB.com currently even exist. Alan Smith. <laughs> Do you know about this? No. All names photographs and references to current players have been removed from mlb.com because of the stoppage yes it's some 
Wow. There's an article about it on The Athletic uh, that is very, very funny to read because The Athletic basically went and talked to a bunch of um, people who have been in on both sides of various labor disputes and were like, why did MLB do this? And the universal response was, I have no idea. It makes no sense. <laughs> if anything, it gives the players more leverage. <laughs> that is very confusing. Uh, so that's a good read, uh, if anybody is curious. Huh. But um, the other thing that kind of bugs me about the narrative around the Orioles right now is, yes, we are tanking. It, that's obviously what's happening. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is zero effort being made and zero money being spent to field a competitive team right now for the sole purpose of stocking the farm system. And that is, by all accounts, working. We have what is thought of as one of the like top five farm systems in the league right now. Adley Reutschman, Rutschman, still don't know how to say it, is coming up this season. Um, everybody's excited. I personally remember that I was supposed to be excited about Matt Wieters and remain skeptical. <laughs> but... <clears throat> Well, that's, I will say, I will say before you get to your butt, I will say I personally am excited for somebody who might be on a team that I eventually root for, which is to say, like, we've spent two years, like two years away from being two years away. And I enjoyed the Cedric Mullins experience as much as the next fella. But I, I don't think that anybody who's on this current roster is going to be on the roster that at some point competes for a divisional title. Yeah. So it's been, it's been hard to invest even in the sort of like narratives of these stories because these guys aren't even going, they're not, we're not even supposed to invest in these guys. These guys just are, are, are literal replacement level players who <laughs> will be replaced uh, on, the, on the way to something more meaningful. So I'm excited for him to come up and to get a look at him just because I'm excited for to have one data point, which might be on a team that is good at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think you're right. I mean, like Cedric Mullins, if he has even half the season that he had this year, um, this past year, will not be an Oriole on August 1st. Like he won't, he's going to get traded. Um, but hopefully one of the prospects that he gets traded for will join Adley on that team that you are aspiring to. Um, what was going to come after my butt was, which is a funny way to begin a sentence. Um, I feel like this whole narrative about how tanking is bad. Tanking is one of the issues at the center of the whole collective bargaining dispute right now. We're getting raked over the coals for tanking when in recent years, Houston tanked their way to becoming a dynasty, albeit a cheap ass dynasty. Um, and a number of other teams uh, have done the same thing where they were just like God awful for a little while until they could restock their farm systems. And when it happened on those teams, everybody gave them credit for like solving the, like the riddle of finding the loophole in the system and mm -hmm. doing what needed to be done to return to competitiveness. All of a sudden when we do it, it's a, symbol of like the end of integrity in the sport that ain't fair yeah it, it, i mean but on the other hand i can see like if i'm um a dodgers fan or a giants fan 
I'm sort of pissed about how this last season went down in the sense that like oh, yeah. the Braves, the Braves were like a middling level team. They weren't really doing anything. They got to the trade deadline. They signed a couple of key people from for 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 nothing. Yeah. I mean, for like for way future mortgage, yeah. just so that other teams could continue to be very bad mm-hmm. and continue the tank. And then the Braves suddenly get their shit together with a couple of like new uh, vets, go on a run, and end up as your <laughs> MLB champions. Yeah, like that. That. I, I think it's frustrating. It's probably frustrating from the perspective of not just the like the tankers, but the tankies or the <laughs> the people who are sort of getting cheap Cedric Mullins level talent just so that a team can continue to be bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I agree that I think it is a good thing. I appreciate that the players are trying to account for this in the next collective bargaining agreement. I, I appreciate that they're cognizant of the fact that this is bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, are, are like trying to come up with, I, there, I think there's a couple of proposals being floated around. One of which I think is very interesting is um, a, a payroll minimum. Like mm-hmm. if you're like a team has to commit to paying there, there has to be a floor of what you're willing to spend on your team. So you can't NBA do... NBA has that. Yeah, I, it's a brilliant idea. Um, so you can't do what the Orioles are doing and like have something like a payroll of $52 million mm-hmm. and then watch the uh, Dodgers spend $260 million. Um, right. And, and as you said, the Dodgers obviously like head stomp everybody all season long, as do the Giants, and then get into run into the mysterious Braves buzzsaw. Um, it's a it's a bad situation, and I agree that it should be fixed. Um, I just think pegging the Orioles as oh yeah <laughs> the primary <laughs> the the symptom problem. of the problem is like no, I don't think any of those people on the Braves uh, were Orioles guys. Yeah, except for. Marcakis, of course, but that not that, that's not the same scenario. No, no. Um, Is he? He's gone now. He didn't. He didn't get a World Series ring, right? No, he retired uh, before one this year. one year too early. Damn, one year too early. That's a shame. Now, here's a question for you, Alan Smith. Mm. Another thing, a very alive conversation right now is it looks like if current trends continue. I found a website recently that is ruinously addictive, which is some genius slash very, very sad person with too much time on their hands maintains a live spreadsheet of every player who is on the Hall of Fame ballot, um, all of the public ballots that have been shared on which those players appear, um, what percentage they are trending at, and how many more votes they need in order to meet the threshold for getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And they this wow. it's updated live every time a new uh, ballot is shared. And if current trends continue, it is looking like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens will get into the Hall of Fame this year. Huh. And meanwhile, there is a parallel conversation happening about how if our standards for the hall of fame are changing because we have this 
just vast stew of steroid tainted players that we're going to be sorting through for the next couple of ballots and um traditional pitching metrics have have changed so much and it's making those things more difficult to evaluate and so there's this whole new way of looking at like who's a hall of famer and a lot of this conversation right now is centered on Jimmy Rollins um who by wins above replacement just isn't a hall of famer he's at like 46 or something like that but there's all these other factors that you know his offensive stats for shortstops are right up there with <clears throat> Cal and the best shortstops of all time. Um, he's like fourth on a, a bunch of uh, top uh, top ten lists in, for shortstop offense. Um, he won an MVP award. He was like a seminal part of a World Series team. How do you not put that guy in the Hall of Fame? Um, but I've been thinking about Nick Markakis in a similar vein recently because mm. by the numbers, wins above replacement included, Marquecas is right there with Jimmy Rollins. Um, but but he's not a Hall of Famer. It doesn't seem like there's ever <laughs> going to be a conversation about Nick Marquecas. I don't even know if he'll ever appear on the ballot. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I... Um, I guess I feel like the 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 shift in how baseball is played right now is so dramatic in terms of like three true outcomes and number of home runs. I mean, the Orioles, what is it like? They're, they're moving the outfield so that people hit fewer home runs against us, maybe goosing a few numbers so that uh, they can sell a few more medium grade pitchers for a slightly more in the middle of this season. Um that all to me says that like the degradation of the sort of like numbers only case is going to continue. Yeah. Like the, 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 it's going to be more and more apples to oranges in terms Mm -hmm. of how we compare players from different eras. And it seems to me like the steroid era is the steroid era. Right. And like that, is maybe only comparable to other people in that era, just in the same way that Marcakis and Rollins might only be comparable to each other and not some, like, I don't know, not somebody who's playing right now because the the things that they brought to the table were not the same value and not the same thing. Yeah. Um, doesn't really seem to me like a lot of people who were in the early Hall of Fame would have been very good baseball players now. Yeah, well, um, a lot of them played before the league was integrated, you know. Right. <laughs> um, I feel like just put them in tears. Just put them in in decades. Mm-hmm. You made it. You made it for this set of rules. Right. In this right. moment, and then you have an elite wing. Um, right. And in the elite wing are you know uh, that's where Willie Mays is. That's where Mike Trout is. Um, that's where Griffey is. Um, that works for me. I, and yeah, but of this, of course, being baseball, then like they'd also be like, well, if you you can buy different tiers of passes, and you have to buy a platinum pass <laughs> if you want to visit the elite wing. Um, right. Cut to me buying the elite wing pass <laughs> instantly. Um, I guess the thing I wonder with Marcakis 
and this is purely a thought experiment, is let's say, because if you recall, 2012, the year we started this very podcast, imagining that we were signing on for a year of um, mediocrity, chronicling mediocrity at best, um, which ended up being the magical wildcard season, um, the year of McClough, as I like to think of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. wonder what he's up to. Um, what I'm wondering is, so that was the year that Marcakis got hurt and was out for the playoffs. Right. And I can't help wondering, let's say he had not been hurt. He had gotten to play in the playoffs. Because of his presence, we won the World Series. I realize I'm really... Uh, Some big sliding doors. <laughs> overestimating perhaps the potential impact of Nick Marcakis on the 2012 team. But let's say that had happened. And he had had this magical postseason run. The Orioles won the World Series. And let's say he won an MVP. And nothing else changed. And nothing else changed. But let's say he, um, you know... He's a Hall of Famer. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think that it's so narrative based in how people think about that that if there was if if he cuz the thing that Marcakis's resume is lacking is a moment like right. a sort of like um on the tongues of everyone across the the the, the like cuz his his counting stats are pretty good and his sort of like yeah I I I think I think absolutely if if they had put together one run and he had gone, you know, hit 305 with two home runs during the World Series and um, had a key hit in a key moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Orioles had won a World Series in 2012, especially given their come from nowhere moment. Oh, and my God. Like yeah. the, the, the sort of like the capital N narrative of that story, I think, would be would, would make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, the, you see this. I think you see this a lot like. A lot of um, a lot of people in the NFL right now are tying themselves in knots to not say that Aaron Rodgers is the MVP, um, huh. and Aaron Rodgers probably is the MVP in any other year. But people are loath to vote for him because he was a prima donna all summer. All summer last year was not a great teammate. Then had that whole lied about not being vaccinated schmazzle. Um, put his own team and other people at risk. Uh, not necessarily a great look for who you want the most valuable player in your league to be. He's probably still going to be the MVP anyway, but the sort of like narrative arc of that was tied up, I think, a lot in, in stuff that had nothing to do with how he was playing on the field. It was just about whether or not you can see him as the MVP. I think right. that, that you, there, Nick Marcakis is lacking a moment when you could see him as a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of these questions of narrative and old school versus new school, um, I think we have to talk about the end and 2012. Uh, mm. I think we have to end improbable uh, runs to glory. I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room, Smith, which is that um, we live We're changing the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, We're the Buckamorons now. The Buckamorons. We we live once again in Showalter country. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. I'm 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 um I haven't gone as far as you. I have not purchased a Mets hat yet. 
Um, but uh, as as longtime Baltimore morons listeners will know, Sam and I both live in Brooklyn. Um, we're both uh, have been here for for uh, gosh years upon years now, and have steadfastly refused to adopt uh, New York teams in any of our rooting interests. But I think this might be the year that uh, I become a Mets fan. Let, You're already all the way in. Huh? Come, come in. The water's fine. Um, <laughs> I am so excited purely because it is a chance to watch Buck Walter press conferences again, to just revel in his caginess and riddle speak and uncanny understanding of like, you know, some people talk about how the best managers are playing like fourth dimensional chess. I feel like Buck Showalter is like realizes that it's actually backgammon and just nobody else (laughs) knows. He did this thing, right? So last year, the Mets had this huge problem with Francisco Lindor, who was underperforming and there were a variety of character issues where he um, was like snotty to the to Mets fans. Um, so Buck Showalter quietly hires as third base coach. Let me just make sure I have this right. I think it's Joey Cora. Yeah. Um, he hires... Joey Cora to be the third base coach uh, for the 2022 Mets. Sure, sure, sure. Joey Cora was a very capable baseball player in his own right. Um, And, you know, I'm sure Buck Showalter likes him personally, but he also just so happens to be Francisco Lindor's childhood hero. Mm. And that, that's just like such a buck move to be like, we got this guy. We're paying him $320 million. When he's at his best, he's a top five offensive player in the game. We need him right if this team is going to do what it's supposed to do. Something needs to change because it's clearly not about talent, like raw talent. Oh, I know. I'll make his idol, his like childhood idol part of my coaching staff. That's it's just such a buck move. And I am so excited for a season of that. Just hope he uses his best reliever, Sam. Just I hope he uses his best reliever when the the chips are down. Well, did you see uh, Zach Britton gave an interview about that recently? Um, I did. And one of the other things I love about Buck is that in this interview, Zach revealed that, you know, that the season ended, as, as we all remember, with the deafening crack of Edwin Encarnacion's bat. And then to hear Zach Britton tell it, it was sort of like all quiet on the Western front over the off season. And then on the first day of spring training, Buck had a meeting and was like, I messed up. Mm -hmm. It's on me. I messed up. If you want to talk to me about it, you can. Let's go. Let's go win some games this year, which they of course didn't, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I just, there aren't too many people in sports or in anything really where you can think of so many stories off the top of your head that are that charming and appealing and 
honorable, not to be too cheesy about it. Do you think that, that the rest of the Mets organization is one that you are in your, in your dipping your toes into the water? Do you feel like they're um, no exciting or desirable in any way? Well, uh, I mean, there are, de- there are definitely some players who, I mean, the idea of getting to inherit Jacob deGrom fandom, um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's like Matisse, you know, I mean, he's the most skilled craftsman on a pitcher's mound that we have in the game right now. It's absurd. Um, I think Pete Alonso is going to be a fun guy to root for. Um, he's like a, he just seems like a, a real, I, I feel like we have not, I feel like there is probably a 60 Homer season in Pete Alonso's future. And I'm excited to get to be paying close attention when that happens. Um, I think, you know, if Lindor can get his head on straight, he seems like mercurial in the same way that Manny Machado was merc- mercurial. But um, Manny Machado, it is best, was one of the greatest joys of my young life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then you know, there's, there's a whole range of uh, other players whose names I'm still learning um, who... <laughs> uh, I mean, I think like Brandon Nimmo, for example, um, I feel like the Mets have this like stable of guys who do all the things that we've always wished Orioles players would do. They're sort of like, they don't swing for the fences. They don't hit a lot of home runs. They just like always hit 280, always get on base 35 to 39% of the time, play a bunch of different positions and hit at a bunch of different parts of the lineup. Um, and I've never gotten to closely follow a team that's constructed that way. And mm. um, I've never gotten to see Buck Showalter have that sort of Swiss Army knife flexibility set yeah. at his disposal. Um, so all of that's really exciting to me. Um, the ownership of the Mets is horrifying. <laughs> um, and is all of the worst parts of this, um, you know, robber baron gilded age environment uh that we love to rail about on this program the only good thing um oh and i forgot the biggest one of all like i get to be a max scherzer fan this year that's true there are few people on planet earth who are more badass than max scherzer (laughs) yeah no i i think that um and and it'll be nice to be able to turn on a tv and and watch the games instead of having to sort of like um contort myself into when and where the Orioles will be playing and which times I think, I, I think I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can follow you. I'll see if my heart will allow it. Okay. I think I'm still, uh, I'll still, I'll still mostly be, um, checking to see whether or not the Orioles losing streak has, uh, eclipsed previous seasons records. And, uh, I didn't watch a lot of baseball last season. Um, mostly it seemed like, probably they shouldn't be playing just like every other professional sport for a while. And then they kind of got their, kind of got their shit together a little bit. But um, I, I am sort of curious to know, you know, when baseball will happen again and, and, and what will it look like in the age of Omicron and, and um, how, how, how this season will unfold in sort of like a meta way uh, kind of team, regardless of team. Um, but yeah, I think I think that the Mets they they are at least an emotional um, they 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 are an emotionally similar team to the Orioles. 
um, they, they, they have a similar torture history and a similar like occasional rise to greatness. Um, did you watch that documentary about the 86 Mets? No, uh, it's on my list. It's on my list. It's part of my, um, fandom, Those fandom checklist. Were crazy. <laughs> like, like the amount of stuff happening, like the amount of cocaine, the amount of yeah. like it, that, that was a wild, wild time in New York sports history. Great documentary. Highly recommended. I'm, I feel, I, I think this is the other part of it is I have always been at best, uh, tepid in my engagement with the city that I <laughs> have called home for some 15 years. Um, and I feel like it's also a way of, yeah, it's more than that, isn't it? Yikes. <laughs> 18 years, 18 years. Wow. He's counting. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it's also going to be in some ways a project in just making friends with the history of my accidental homeland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Baltimoreans, we promise that exactly what we have now already delivered, which is to say that this is the only episode that you're likely to get from us in the next two years and you'll like it. But who knows? Maybe we'll come back next week and talk some more about a non-existent baseball season that hasn't happened yet. Sam's burgeoning love of the Mets. Um, Let's see. What else has happened in the last three years that we should cover before we go, Sam? Uh, I had a daughter. She's pretty cool. (laughs) She's uh, almost two now, so she has not ever been alive for a Baltimoreans episode. But um, (laughs) now that's changing. Congratulations, Frankie. Yeah. Um, what else has happened? There was a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 850,000 Americans died. Yep. Still um, happening, that pandemic. Still still happening, this pandemic. I am currently, I don't know if you can, if you can tell through these excellent earphones that I'm using, um, a little bit nasal thanks to my own brush with the coronavirus. Um, so we're, uh, we're in the Smith household. We are just coming down off of our, of our week-long high from the Omicron variant. Um, anything else of note? Uh, a new podcast, a new baby, a new pandemic? Well, I just thought of a great um, Mets-centric nickname for you, uh, for for this episode anyway, which is Cron Darling. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's Henry Arudia worthy, but... Uh, Ron Darling well, did play for the what? Mets, right? Uh, Let's go ahead and go out on that. (laughs) Baltimoreans.